you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. Whoever covers an offence seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbour who is near than a brother who is far away. All right, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be, to God. Thanks be to God. Great to be with you this morning, City on Hill, for week two in our series, uh, Proverbs, looking at wisdom in an artificial age. Uh, this morning, we're going to be talking about one of the most important and overlooked topics when it comes to living a life that is flourishing. Uh, we're talking about friendship. Uh, now, to kind of set up the stage for today by show of hands, who has an active Facebook account? See that hand nice and high. Keep your hand raised if you can say that you personally know and trust every one of your Facebook friends. <laughs> Look around. What do you see? You see that Facebook, obvious point, has redefined our definition of friendship. The digital age has given us more access and connection to, to people than ever before. And yet at the same time, there's a loss of depth, meaning, and personal friendship. And this has really shifted in the last few years with the development of AI and ChatGBT. Uh, my seven-year-old daughter, I've got seven, uh, I was going to say seven kids. Whoa, four kids. <laughs> More on the way. Um, I've got four kids. Youngest daughter, Lily, uh, you know, downloaded this app on my wife's phone where you can basically, you've got your own AI personal assistant pal. And so she's like texting her AI assistant pal, like, you know, what's your favorite joke and what's mine and what's your favorite color and, you know, what sing a song, like all of this kind of stuff. And over a few days, we noticed that she was getting really connected to her AI pal to the point that mum and dad, that being me and, and Vanessa, we had to delete the app and tell her it's not real. What does a seven-year-old who's been raised in the digital age do in response? She bursts out crying saying, but she's my friend. 
right? And we, this is the age that we live in where people more and more are developing these online connections, many of which are not actually real. Uh, who's seen the movie Her? Right? It's like one of my favorite movies. Came out like 10 years ago uh, about a guy who essentially falls in love with an operating system. Now, when you watch this 10 years ago, you're like, wow, that's so bizarre. That's so, like, so far-fetched. And yet today, you know that this is happening all around the world, right? Radically, a radical shift in how we define friendship. And, and, and look, I'm not saying you need to deactivate your Facebook account or unplug from the computer, but I hope you know that you are made for more. Right? Everyone in this room is made for real, tangible, flesh, face-to-face friendship. And to say that friendship is important to life and, and happiness is like saying water is important to fish. Right? It's essential. Uh, there's a book called The Happiness Project that kind of looks at all these different ways that help make us happy. And uh, the author uh, has this, quotes his study. She says, one study showed that whenever you are exercising, commuting or doing housework, everything is more fun in company. This is true, not just for of, of extroverts, but perhaps surprisingly of introverts as well. In fact, researchers reported that out of 15 daily activities, they found only one during which people were happier alone rather than with other people, and that was praying. Yeah, I would have thought going to the toilet might have been another one. (laughs) Turns out we like doing things together. The Greek philosopher Epicurus said, of all the things that wisdom provides for living one's entire life in happiness, the greatest by far is the possession of friendship. And, and, and I'm sure you know this, that, that friendship not only adds to the fun of life, but there's been countless studies showing that having great friends boosts your immunity, uh, reduces the risks of depression, and contributes significantly to your life, your health, your well-being. Um, there's a study I'm sure many of you are familiar with called the Blue Zones, where they look at these regions across the world where people live long and healthy lives, and they kind of zero in to identify what's the commonality between those Blue Zones, one of which, of course, is friendship, having the right tribe. And uh, they zero in on Okinawa in Japan and a custom known as Moai, which is where they group little kids together when they're young in groups of four, five, six, or seven, and they commit to each other as friends for the rest of their life. And so they meet up regularly, uh, they share resources, they have fun, they talk about life, study, work, and, and they discovered that some of these moais, these friendship circles, existed for nine decades and contributed to this overall sense of well-being and health and, and life together. And so when you get to Proverbs, it's not a surprise to hear that the father in the story, Solomon, is desperate for his son to hear this wisdom, the wisdom of having good, faithful, godly friends. And, and this is what you and me, we desperately need to hear today. The digital age has given us so many connections, so much access to, to people We have more connections than ever before, but do we have genuine, lasting friendship? Do we have a tribe of friends that we can learn from and grow with? 
If you're taking notes, I've got five kind of headings to to navigate Proverbs and friendship. I want to talk about the beauty of friendship, the power of friendship, the mark of friendship, the pursuit of friendship, and then the answer to friendship. So let's kick it off with the beauty of friendship. Proverbs 18 says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So to talk about friendship in a book of wisdom is not a surprise, but note the striking claim that the author of Proverbs is making. The father is telling his son that a friend is not only better than a thousand followers on Instagram, but can be closer to you than even your brother or sister. By show of hands, who has a brother or sister? There you go. Keep your hand raised if you like your brother or sister. Yeah, okay. That's a mix. Good. That's Okay. Um, I owe a lot to my brother. Um, when my parents divorced, he, he's, he's older than me. He kind of took me under his wing, kind of showed me what street smarts look like and how to defend myself and to look after myself. We lived together, traveled together, played sport together. Thursday night, we went to the footy together and mourned together. Right? But interestingly, Proverbs says you can and should have a friend who's even closer. Now, isn't it true that the modern world forgets this? There's a big priority in family, and we understand that. There's clearly a big priority on romantic relationships, and all Hollywood is geared towards that. But sometimes we're so geared towards romantic relationships that we miss the blessing and beauty of of friendship. Why does the Bible, why does the Bible prize friendship so much? In part, it's because a true friend truly gets you, understands you, knows you. They know your soul. Sam Aubrey, who's written extensively on this topic, points out that in Hebrew, the word for friend is very closely related to the word secret. Why? Because a friend is someone that you share your secrets with, you share your story with, you share who you are with them in a very personal and loving way. John 15, we see this with Jesus and his mates. He says, I no longer call you servants because, because I hope you're okay there, I, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you, what's that word? Friends. Why? Why does he now call them friends? For everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Right? That's the essence of friendship. It's a commitment to share your story, to share who you are, to trust yourself to another. And that's why a friend is a little bit different to a family member, because the openness and trust you share with a friend is freely given and freely received. You don't choose your family. You, you don't choose who you have for that Christmas dinner. You choose your friends, right? The uncle or the aunt or the cousin is there at the table because they have to, but a friend is there because they want to. And, and that hints at that the val- this voluntary nature of friendship, hints at its beauty, its value, its intimacy, but also its um, forming and influence on our lives. And this leads to the second point, the power in friendship. Proverbs 13, the father says to the son, check this out. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. Note that whoever walks with the wise, whoever keeps company with the wise becomes wise. But the companion of fools suffers harm. We often think that the biggest influence in our life is going to be the school you went to or your parents 
Maybe your brother, we often think they're the biggest influence. But there are so many studies today to show that actually the biggest, most formative relationships we have in our life is our friends, right? The company that you choose to keep. Uh, It's the people around you that shape you. Uh, I've shared this illustration before, but I love it. It's... um, there was a TV show called Candid Camera. Who remembers Candid Camera? Like two of us were back in the 1950s. It goes way back, 1950s, 1960s, black and white. It's the original prankster show. And there's one episode called Face the Rear uh, where they set up this experiment in an office building with an elevator. And the guy walks into the elevator, normal day, and he faces the door, the opening of the elevator, like everybody does. But then another guy walks in and he's in on the prank. And what does he do? He doesn't face the door like all of us. He walks on in and faces the rear of the elevator, the back wall, right? And so presumably this guy's like, I don't know what that guy's doing. Uh, But then another woman comes in. She walks in. She's also in on the prank. And what does she do? She doesn't face the opening. She doesn't face the door. She faces the rear, faces the back. Then comes a third guy and then a fourth guy. And they're all facing the rear. Now, suppose you're this guy, the first guy. Firstly, what are you thinking at that point? And then secondly, where are you going to face? So in candid camera, the guy's like looking around. You can tell he's like really trying hard to hold his independence. But eventually he does this. <laughs> right? We, we tend to think that, that we're independent. I make my own decisions. I'm the captain of my own ship. No, 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 no. <laughs> what you wear, uh, where you like to eat, uh, you know, the habits in your life, the practices, decisions, even your views to varying degrees has very little to do with your own independence and so much to do with the people around you. What does that mean? You need to be very smart when it comes to choosing your friends. You need to be very smart when it comes to who you let into your life and who you do life with. Right? I'm sure some of you have heard, uh, it's a kind of fun little quote, um, it says, uh, Uh, If you hang out with three confident people, you'll be the fourth. Hang out with three intelligent people, you'll be the fourth. Hang out with three artistic people, you'll be the fourth. Hang out with three idiots, you'll be the fourth. Right? So choose wisely. Uh, Look at Proverbs 22, 24. The father says to his son, Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered or outraged. Or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Show of hands, how many of us have got a hot-tempered friend? All right, good, safe. It's a safe place. It's a safe place. Who's got a friend who loves to gossip or friends who love to gossip? Right, now I guarantee that if you enter that coffee chat or at the pub and everyone's you know, talking about he said this and she said that and they're throwing negativity and shade over here, like you'll enjoy that for a while and you'll think that you can watch from a distance. But I guarantee if you continue to hang out with those people and practice that, you'll be in there. It rubs off. Their negativity is going to become your negativity. Their gossip is going to become your gossip. Or or consider um, ambition and purpose in life. If you have friends who are very content to be mediocre, very content to be lazy and do nothing, they don't really want to grow in their life, they don't want to discover new things, they don't, it's going to rub off on you. All of a sudden, you'll see your vision dropping back. But uh, what about money and wealth? Take money and wealth. I have, I have friends who are incredibly wealthy and, and use it to do 
many great things behind the scenes for the kingdom. And, and those friends inspire me. They encourage me. They, they want me to do better. But I've also found company with people who, who treat money like an idol. It's the definer of their happiness. So it doesn't matter how much they have. They're always wanting more. They're always comparing themselves to other people. Right, And so I might enter the conversation feeling quite content in life, but then I leave feeling very, what, dissatisfied. Oh, like I need more. Why am I not making enough money? I need this. I need to buy that, right? It rubs off on you. It shapes you. Friends are formative. Essentially, Proverbs is saying, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Show me your friends now and I'll show you your future. And this leads to a really important question. The mark of friendship. The mark of friendship. Now, if you journey through the book of Proverbs, you're going to see there's lots of great insight into what makes a great friend. And none of which is super surprising, but it's important just to be reminded of. For example, in chapter 12, the father talks about having friends who can give wise counsel. Again, that's the contrast to having foolish friends, the idiot friends. You need wise friends because you're going to go to them in times of need and they're going to give you advice. And either they're going to give you foolish advice or wise advice. You want the wise advice, so you need wise friends. It's also going to talk about in chapter 19 about generosity. You don't want a friend who's always in it for themselves, who's using you. You want a generous friend who's always looking to meet you and they know you personally to be able to love you and be generous to you in the right particular personal way. Here's another question. Uh, comment verse seven, chapter 17 he talks about the need for grace and forgiveness in a friend right the need for grace and forgiveness but all of these hang on one attribute or one essence or one central heartbeat that makes a great friend and it's up on the screen now you can see it there a friend loves at all times right so so what does grace generosity wisdom what do they all hold in common Love. A great godly friend loves. They love at all times. Think about that. Friendship is not merely a group of like-minded people. It's not merely just the people you went to school with or the people who like the same TV shows. Listen, a great friend, a godly friend, a good friend is marked by a deep and abiding love. A deep and abiding love. Love, And I want to kind of underscore the word for you, abiding, because that's the true test of love. It's a love at all times. It's a constant love, a steadfast love. How do you know that the friends in your life are genuine and real? It's because they're there and, and they're there. They turn up and, and it's constant love. It's not, it's not that they're just there when it's convenient. Or when it meets their needs. It's, it's this a constancy to that love. I remember my good mate Luke. Um, we've been good mates now for 15 years. And he was being ordained in the Anglican church, which is this kind of thing at the um, thing. It's a big deal in the life of an Anglican minister. It happens at St. Paul's Cathedral. And it's like two years, three years build up towards. It's a big deal in the life of a, of a minister. And it had been in my diary for weeks. The problem for me at least, is that the service of ordination goes for like 10, ten, two hours. It feels like 10. It goes for like two hours and it's dead boring. And by that, I mean, if you sit through the whole thing, you could die. The other big problem is it was a Saturday in Melbourne. It just so happened to be 29 degrees, blue skies, 
And where is my happy place? The beach. Right? So in my head, I'm trying to think of all of these reasons why I can't go. Uh, the trains are shut down. Uh, my car broke. Uh, one of my kids had an accident. Uh, that could be arranged. You know, like this... <laughs> Did I end up, t- did I end up going? Yes, of course I did. But the struggle was real. Why? Because a lot of us have been programmed to live for me, myself, and I. My mum used to have her one word of wisdom in my life was always, guy, live for number one. Right? She wasn't talking about God. She was talking about me. <laughs> right? Always live for yourself. That may be the worst advice you could get when it comes to friendship. Right? Because friendship is a laying down of yourself. It's a turning up. Not just when it suits you, but also when there's a bit of cost involved. And that's true not only for the important moments, but also the difficult, the difficult, difficult and hard moments. Here's a thought. Do you want to know the best way to work out who truly cares for you? The best way to identify who your true friends are? Go through a crisis like a really hard, difficult crisis. Go through a crisis and you'll see who your friends are, right? Like, don't manufacture your own crisis. But if you find yourself in that valley, if you find yourself in a crisis, just stop for one minute in the midst of the tears and look around and see who's there. I, um, oh, Proverbs 19 says so well, wealth brings many new friends. <laughs> When things are going well, when there's wealth of money, status, whatever it might be, man, everyone's knocking at the door. But a poor man, whatever that poverty might be, is deserted. How many of you have experienced that in your life? Yeah, it's a sad reality, isn't it? It's heartbreaking. You know, I, um, I remember going through my own season of difficulty and crisis, and I discovered very quickly in my life the people who truly cared, the people who truly valued me as a person, people who didn't run from the hills, but actually lent in and, and were there to love at all times. I remember coming home with my wife, Vanessa, after what was one of the most difficult days of my life and opening door, two friends were there looking after the kids, making sure the house was okay. They'd cooked dinner, laid out you know, cheese and there was a bottle of wine and they're greeting us with love and a smile and it was balm to my soul. Balm to my soul. Um, it's been said, a friend in a storm, a friend in a storm is worth more than a thousand friends in a sunshine. Good friends love at all times. How you can know you've got a good friend is because when in times of success, man, they're there. They're not going to be envy or, uh, envious or jealous. They're going to try and cut down your good time. They want to celebrate with you. They'll, they'll open the champagne for you. And in times of hardship, they won't run for the hills. They'll enter in. They'll be the, the shoulder that you can cry on, the arms you need for that loving, warm embrace. This leads to the third point, the pursuit of friendship. So in Proverbs 27, the father says, Oil and perfume, they make the heart glad, and sweetness, the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. So to say that a friend is sweet is not surprising, but Tim Keller observes that when Proverbs was written, um, people could not create sweetness in food. They didn't have sugar like we have sugar today. It's not something you could manufacture. Sweetness had to be discovered. It takes patience. It takes time. Uh, the point 
in Proverbs is that friendship is like that. You can't just force it, can't manufacture it. It has to be discovered. Uh, C.S. Lewis, of course, has spoken extent or written extensively on uh, friendship and has a good book, The Four Loves, where he talks about uh, friendship as the fruit that grows out of common interests or that common commonality that you discover. He says, love this quote, friendship arises out of mere companionship when two or more of the companions discover that they have in common some insight or interest or even taste which the others do not share and which till that moment each believed to be his own unique treasure or burden. The typical expression of opening friendship should be something like, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. Um, As a kid, maybe still as an adult, but as a kid, I thrived on challenge and competition, right? I used to run when I was like seven years old, my own Olympic games at an abandoned car park somewhere by myself, right? I represented all the nations. Just so happened Australia was always the underdog and Australia always won. Right? Everywhere I was, I was looking for a competition, a challenge. It must have been driving people nuts around me. Everything is like, how do we do this, right? Until year seven, and I meet a guy named Cam. He's in year seven, and he was the first guy I met who lit up at the opportunity or possibility of a challenge or a competition. You know, I'd set up this race around the school with obstacle course and all that kind of stuff, and he'd be like, you know what, I can make this even more difficult. Right? And we went head to head in life in so many amazing, wonderful ways. Swimming races, running races. Uh, we played football together. We used to go to Pizza Hut back when Pizza Hut was a thing. Uh, all you can eat nights to challenge each other who could eat the most slices of pizza. Right? It didn't matter. We were challenging. We even, as we got later into high school, uh, we hosted like a four, five day survivor challenge with another bunch of like five mates at Wilson's Prom. And we said, you can't bring any sub- supplies. We're just going to see who can survive off the land. <laughs> right? We only lost two mates. It was... A huge win. Now, over the years, we, we've bonded over deeper things, more important things. We're Christians. He was the best man in my wedding. And we, you know, like we've got that deep, but, but it's amazing if you just look back to the like year seven boys doing running races around the school to see what brought us together. Right? So, so, so keeping that in mind, being intentional about your, your, your passions can be a great way uh, to, you know, to draw together. And I want to say this, that discovering new friends, whilst a lot easier easier at school and university because of all of the different interactions, you can still make new friends uh, outside of those contexts the older you get. Right? Everybody knows that your friendship circles kind of get smaller the older you get, but there is opportunities for you if you are intentional to discover new friends later on in life. Right? Clearly, the Bible is going to say friendship is vital. Right? Countless studies say it's important, but you need to be intentional and purposeful when it comes to finding friends. Um, I was listening to a podcast with doc, uh, Dr. Emily Musgrove, uh, Australian, uh, and she was talking, the whole episode's kind of about friendship. It was really, really helpful. Um, and she was talking about when it comes to you know, discovering new friends, uh, the distinction between overt and covert avoidance. All right? Difference between overt and covert avoidance when it comes to making new friends. Overt avoidance is the person who's like, you know what, I'm not going outside, I'm not going out, I'm just going to stay here by myself, lock the doors and shut myself in, right? That's complete avoidance. 
It's very over, right? And very hard to meet someone if you just lock yourself indoors. But then she just talked about what's more common for a lot of people, and that is covert avoidance. Covert, covert avoidance is where you go to that place, but you're not truly present or you don't fully engage, right? So for example, you know, this happens in dating. Let's say a guy goes out with another group of guys and, and his intention is to try and meet a lady, but he just sticks with his mates at the pub. And they just talk there. He never crosses the dance floor, so to speak. Now, he might go home and say, oh, I didn't meet anyone. But in reality, he didn't actually try. Right? There was no getting out of the comfort zone. There was no crossing over. The same happens, not just in the dating world, but in the friendship world as well. Right? This, this covert avoidance, avoidance where we're around other people, but we're not pushing beyond the comfort zone to engage and, and, and just open up the possibility of discovering a new friendship. This happens in gyms. This happens in bars. This happens in so many places. You know where else it happens? The church, right? The church. This happens all the time, right? So covert, covert avoidance is just not coming at all. Oh, uh, no, sorry. Overt avoidance is not coming at all. But covert avoidance would be what? Coming on a Sunday, but leaving really early, right? Or... Maybe after the service, uh, you, you, you hang out with someone, but you only ever hang out with somebody you know, right? Uh, or maybe you are engaged on a Sunday, but you've never taken a step to join a gospel community, or you've never taken a step to join one of our serving teams. Now, you're going to hear people talk about serving teams and gospel communities all the time, because they're central to our mission here. That's how, how we dis, uh, disciple. That's how we go forward in the mission of God. But know that they are also an incredible context for you and me to discover and make new friends. And I would love this to be, not as M said, just a friendly church, but a church where you can make friends. And I know that we all have varying degrees of comfortability there. Right, so by show of hands, who would say they're an extrovert? Yeah, you have no issue raising your hand. You're very happy with that. <laughs> what about the introverts among us? Yeah, you can put your books down, raise your hand. Well done. Right, now, I'm, I'm, I'm more introverted, right? Um, that doesn't mean I don't like people. That doesn't mean I'm not interested in making new friends. Introverts can be great friends. It's just that after we've had a chat, we need to have a nap. Right? One of the assumptions you need to have in your, at least get out of your head, is that no one wants to know me and, and no one wants to make friends. That's not true. Most people in this room are very open to discovering a life giving friendship. Everybody in this room has at least one thing in common, namely this vision and mission that we share together. What a great encouragement for us to lean into that. You know, be proactive. Some of you guys are great at this. I see it. You're like natural connectors. You're always chatting and meeting people in. Thank you for that. Keep leading the way in gospel friendship. Keep showing us what it means to be a Christian, the way you connect with other people and help other people connect. Keep doing that. Others here, we just need to get out of our comfort zone. So maybe today, invite someone out for lunch. Grab a coffee. Uh, maybe if you're in a gospel community and you meet someone who's new, you could invite them to join your gospel community. Uh, maybe next week say, hey, I'm going to be sitting in the third row. Why don't you come and sit with me? Right? No one should be alone in church. We should be in this together. It's a biblical call to be friends. And interestingly, when you read Proverbs, it's not just a call to discover new friends, but the importance of keeping your friends. 
prioritizing them, investing in them. Check out what he says, um, one of the texts, where is it? Oh yeah, 27. Do not forsake your friends and your father's friend. Do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. So note that word, don't forsake them. You know, I've noticed in my own life, in times of need, I really want my friends I'm like, man, I'm so thankful for you and I'm invested in you. It's so good that we can be around. Can we catch up some more? Right, I really value it. And then I just get focused on busyness and life and I completely forget about that. Proverbs, the father is saying, hey, don't be a turkey. Don't be a fool. Don't forsake. You've got to invest in them. You've got to keep that as a priority in your life. There's actually a great book um, uh, oh, what's her name? Let me have a check. Bonnie Ware, that's right. And, and she was, uh, works in palliative care. And she looked uh, over her years of experience, she looked at um, uh, people's regrets in their last hours, in their dying breaths. What do we regret? What are you going to regret most at the end of your life? Of the top five, no friendship. The friends that we let slip. She's got this quote. She says this. She says, it's common for anyone in a busy lifestyle to let fl- friendships slip. But when you're faced with your approaching death, the physical details of life fall away. People do, not want to get, do want to get their financial affairs in order if possible. But it is not money or status that holds the true importance for them. It all comes down to love and relationships in the end. That's all that remains in the final weeks, love and relationships. How do you maintain friends? I asked uh, some of the ministry staff on our team here, great insights across the board. Paul said this, while a good friendship involves give and take, never adopt a wait for them to contact me attitude. Instead, be prepared to be the initiator. Get things in the calendar. Friendship need active maintenance. Recognize that some friends' stages of life can mean spontaneous catch-ups, while other stages mean months in advance planning. Be okay with both ends of the spectrum and steward a range of these stages of life friendships. Uh, Britt uh, spoke about the importance of intentionality. She helpfully says, give time to it. Don't leave friendship to be the thing you do with your spare time when you're not busy. Otherwise, it'll always be squeezed out. Put it in your rule of life. Schedule it in. Dave Martell uh, spoke about the importance of honesty and openness with our friends. He says, what we look forward to and love is being surrounded by people where we can 100% be ourselves. No filter, authentic relationships. Right? That's so true. One of the barriers to building a good friendship is, is keeping the walls up, playing it safe, never sharing of yourself with the other. Uh, C.S. Lewis says, erotic love will have naked bodies, friendship, naked personalities. Right? You need to be real. You need to be open. Uh, my good mate Steph had another important insight about encouragement. She says, I try to let affirmation be something unique I can offer as a friend. If I think something positive about someone, I try to say it. I'm terrible making time to write cards or emails, so I try to tell people verbally when I see them or in a text. It might just be something like, I really admire what an incredible leader you are, or you're such a loving and kind mom, or the way you care for your parents is really remarkable. And this leads to a fifth and final point before we dive into some questions. I want to talk about the answer to friendship. You know, as we've surveyed, you know, friendship, I'm sure that, you know, we're, 
probably feeling a range of different responses in this room. Some of you, I'm sure, are feeling great thankfulness. You know, just talking about friendship, you think about the close friends you have in your life, and you're like, wow, praise God, what a gift. And that's good. And it really should be. That's a great gift, and we can thank the Lord, and we should thank the Lord for the friends that we have in our life. That's a really wonderful gift that God gives. Uh, But I'm sure that for some of us here, the topic of friendship can awaken some more complex emotions and response. For some of us right now, we're perhaps feeling a deep sense of longing, a deep sense of longing. You know, you hear the great qualities of true friendships and you say, yes, I want that. I really need that in my life. And yet when you look at your life, it's just not there. You know, you see this vision of friendship in the Bible, so beautiful, so blessed. And you like, I want that, but it's, it's just not there. Maybe it was there and it's no longer there. Maybe it was never there to begin with. And, and so there's that deep longing. And of course, with that longing can come a, a sense of disappointment. Not only a disappointment in what we don't have, but, but even how we have responded in friendship. Disappointment that... Next to the Bible, we haven't been a great friend. I haven't loved my friends at all time. I haven't always forgiven the way the Bible calls me to forgive. I haven't always given wise counsel. I fall short of being the friend the Bible calls me to be. So where do you go with those emotions when it comes to friendship? Where do we go with our deep longings for friendship? And where do we go with the failings to be a good friend? Well, consider these words again from Jesus in John 15. Jesus, turning to his mates, says, Love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. I have called you friends. You know, if you're new to Christianity, it's helpful to know that when God made you, he made us like him. And God is in a friendship, an eternal relationship. What does that mean? It means you have been made for relationships. And yet what we also discover in the Bible in the early chapters is that we chose to distance ourselves from God, to not trust God, and we chose sin instead. And that sin has, has fractured this world, but also fractured our relationships. Our relationships are not all they could be, all they once were. Uh, They're they're fractured. Uh, Erotic love has naked bodies, friendship, naked personalities. But what does Adam and Eve do? They cover up. They hide. Uh, They distance themselves from God and each other. And we, listen, we've been doing that ever since. And this is really important because the secular world, the secular world knows the importance of friendship. The secular world knows the importance of intimacy and closeness and the value and, 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 and we all know this. And yet what the world so often overlooks, where the world is completely lost, is getting to the heart of the issue. Why is it that friendship's hard? Why is it that friendship disappoints? The real struggle when it comes to having great friends is not ultimately an issue of our busyness. It's not ultimately an issue of technology. The real heart of the issue is sin. That's at the root cause 
of the broken relationships that we see. It doesn't mean that friendship is impossible. It just means that it's bent out of shape, right? So, so the love I'm supposed to give to another is tainted by my constant need to love and worship myself. Uh, the call to be truthful with somebody when you need to be truthful is often tainted with deception and self-gain. The need to be generous is often clouded by my own insecurity and fear and self-protection. The ability to give wise counsel is clouded by foolishness and selfishness. This, listen, this is what makes Jesus so compelling and so remarkable and so relevant for us all. Because into our brokenness, into the broken relationships, he came. He came to heal and he came to make new. And he came not just to save this world in some cosmic fashion, though that is true. He came to be your friend. The true, perfect friend. Um, the friend who will never leave you or forsake you. The friend who will love at all times. The friend who is generous. The friend who only ever declares the truth. The friend who has wise counsel. The friend who speaks of encouragement and will help you reach your purpose. And how did Jesus accomplish this friendship for us all? Like this. He who knew no sin became sin. Right? For his mates, Jesus laid down his life. And in laying down his life, in dying for your sin and my sin. Jesus not only created a way to restore our relationship back to God, but actually empowers us now to be a good friend to other people. Uh, Albert Hubbard says, A friend is someone who knows all about you and still loves you. In the gospel, we see that Jesus knows you. He really does. He knows your best moments, your worst moments. He knows your hopes. He knows your fears. He knows your dreams. He knows you and he loves you, right? We see that on the cross. And yet this love, it not only meets our desires for friendship, but it transforms us so that we can now be that great friend. In Jesus, we receive a forgiveness that empowers us now to forgive others. In Jesus, we receive this eternal inheritance. So I don't need to be stingy in my life. I don't need to be insecure. I can be generous. In Jesus, we receive the truth. So I can now offer wise wisdom and counsel to other people. In Jesus, I am loved at all times. So I'm now free to love others. Do you know and enjoy the love and friendship of Jesus? And are you allowing his friendship to now shape the friends you keep and the friend you are called to be? I'm going to give you a moment now just to stand and stretch, and then Em's going to join me uh, for some live Q&A. All right. I'm going to interrupt those conversations to continue this one. Um, as we have a bunch of questions and we want to make sure that we get to them. So, you ready? Let's jump in, yeah. Let's jump in. Question number one. 
Is it worth it to keep a friendship that brings drama, conflict, and toxicity into my life? Or is it better to let it go? Mm. I, have, oh, I have been told that as a Christian, I should not cut people off. Is this true? Zing. All right, Em, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, see, you all laugh. Yeah. No, I'm um, serious. You know this. Come it's on. Love does no harm, mm-hmm. I think, should be a part of the conversation uh, with good friendships. If it is truly toxic, there is, I think, we can use that quite broadly. Sure, is it yeah. toxic? Is it unhealthy? Is it just plain hard as well? Like we're yeah. told that friendship is going to be hard. Um, so it's helpful to think through those elements, but I think if it's a relentlessness of it, I think there's times where clarity is kindness and sometimes having that conversation with someone and being like, and being honest with them of being like, this is really hard. I don't think you want to like go after your friends and be like, you're being toxic. But I think having conversations where you're like, hey, I'm finding this really difficult um, is really helpful. It's good for you and your growth. It's good for them because they just, they may not know at all uh, how they act as a, with cutting people off, I'll, I'll let you <laughs> get to that one. Yeah, I mean, look, I, thank you so much for whoever's asked yeah. that question. So much is loaded, as M pointed out, in like, what do we mean by toxicity and conflict? Does that just mean they disagree with you on some things? Mm. Um, or are they actually being um, hurtful and harmful to you? And if they're disagreeing with you on certain things, that's probably a good sign you've got a decent friend. Like, you don't want... A friend is not someone who's just always patting you on the back and saying, wow, you're amazing. You actually want a little bit of drama and a little bit of conflict and a little bit of dis- disagreements. But that's different to toxicity. Mm. Um, if someone is constantly, like you know, bringing you down and taking, you know, it's that formative nature of friendship. I think, firstly, if you consider them a friend, you should tell them that mm. and say, hey, I need to let you know that the way you've been reacting is um, not healthy, uh, it's not biblical, and I have a higher standard of a friend that doesn't treat me like this. Um, and I would like you to be that kind of friend to me who doesn't keep doing X, Y, and Z, and you want to put in some really concrete examples. Don't just Mm. talk in like big labels, right? So, you know, the other day you said this, that really hurt me, or you didn't turn up for this, that actually really hurt me. Mm. And I would expect better, and I'm confident and hopeful and prayerful you will be that friend to me. So I think having that honest conversation, like lovingly, um, so they know where they stand. Because remember, a lot of people have grown up in very difficult lives and don't really know how to do conflict. Sometimes people create conflict because they're trying to test out the friendship. Mm. Right? I'm going to be really difficult around Emily to see if she really cares. Like That's how some people have been programmed to think. So talking about that openly and honestly to help them grapple with it and giving them an opportunity with clear boundaries and expectations and goals that you can then come back to and say, hey, you know what? I've been really thankful the way you did X mm. or not. Should you cut them off over a period of time? I think over time you might get to a point where you say, hey, I'm not finding this friendship um, helpful for me in the way that I would expect of a friendship, mm-hmm. so I'm going to create some distance. I think cutting off sounds a little bit, a little bit you know, violent, a little bit too much, mm-hmm. but I think creating some uh, distance with someone uh, can at times be appropriate. Mm. Good answer. We'll jump to the next one. Christians claim that God forgives and that they are righteous, kind of like God. But what does it look like for Christians to forgive one another? Does that even happen? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, appreciate uh, whoever wrote mm. that in. Uh, yeah, so a Christian fundamentally believes 
that in Jesus we have been forgiven of all our sin mm. and that, that, that the forgiving work of God was accomplished through Jesus. We didn't do anything to deserve it. We didn't clean ourselves up or work it out. No, God worked it out for us. He, he mm. died for us. And we are then given what's called imputed righteousness. It's not a righteousness of our own that we earned. It's been imputed to us. It's, been, it's a gift. It's like a crown, right? So Emily comes to Jesus. Uh, Jesus gives her a crown and she has that crown that says she's righteous, which means she has a right relationship with God, right? Mm. That's what righteousness means, a right relationship. So therefore, what is, it, what is the fruit of that? Of a woman who now walks with that crown of her head, well, then she is called by the power of the Spirit to pursue forgiveness with mm. other people. Now, what does that look like for a Christian to forgive another person is a big question and is obviously shaped by the complexity and texture of that relationship yep. um, and the nature of that you know, transgression. Uh, you didn't show up for a party. You should acknowledge that and say, I'm so sorry I didn't get there. I was lazy or I was wrong or I was selfish and I'm really sorry and I know that would have hurt you. Right? You could probably deal with that in a good conversation. Mm cheated on your best friend's partner, that's a different conversation, right? And that requires a lot more work. What that can look like is varied. Sometimes you need mediated help. Mm. Sometimes it takes a lot of time. And sometimes, let's be honest, it doesn't always... Um, <coughs> reconciliation doesn't always call, include restoration. Mm. And so being aware that sometimes you can forgive someone but doesn't mean it'll go back to the same place. That's good. Helpful? Mm. All right. Very. We'll jump to the next one. I feel at times my secular friends are the ones that are that that really feel most fulfilling. Yet I know the most important element of faith is not there. Hmm. I feel guilty not having these I feel guilty having these friends if they are not ultimately God honoring. All right, Em. Hmm. What do you think? It's a great question. It is a great question. And I think it, there's part of me that, I'll be honest, it like kind of bums me out that you don't have Christian relationships that are mm -hmm. flourishing in the same way that your friendships are with your non-Christian friends. Um, that's not a great, yeah, that's just not a great reality. Um, I don't think feeling guilty is mm. the answer. No, that's right. <laughs> um, I think God's really intentionally given them to you as friends. Yeah. Um, and that's a gift and that's one that's worthy of honouring and pursuing. Um, you're right, the most important element of faith isn't there. But it may be one day. Mm. And we can live with that in mind. Like it may, it may be there and it may be there because God has put you into that relationship with them. I think my encouragement would be to pursue friendships with people who do share the same faith as you to cheer you on. <laughs> because there's going to be times where testing comes. And like I said, if you surround yourself by these three people, you'll be the fourth. Um, and so if you have Christian friends that can really cheer you on and encourage you in the faith, um, pursue those also, um, and then lean into the ones that are fulfilling and honour that. Like, let them know, hey, just so you know, you're a really good friend to me. Mm. And this is something I really cherish. And maybe you can bring your faith into the conversation. Yeah. Like, I really cherish your friendship because it reminds me of this aspect mm. of who God is. It's great. Like that's just, it's a really maybe an easy door, like a back door <laughs> into a conversation. Um, but I, I don't think feeling guilty about it needs to happen because that's not, that isn't the identity that we walk in. Yeah, spot on. It's great. Nothing to add? No. 
Let's, and let's be praying for you know new friends yeah. in your life and that you're secure. Who's got, by the way, who's had a friend who's become a Christian in their life? Show of hands. All right, so look around. You see, be encouraged by that and mm. be praying for your friends and be praying for some Christian friends. Yeah, that's good. Uh, we've got time for one more. I reckon. How do I lay down? How do I de- lay down their life for? Our f- how do I lay down my life for my friends, and not get overwhelmed and exhausted? Mm. Mm. You giving this one to me? Yeah. All right. right. We're taking turns. We're taking turns. That's yeah. fair enough. Yeah. I mean, that, that's really great. You know, recognizing that you're um, not just a Christian, but you're human, is really important <laughs> mm. in life. And. Um, self-awareness in terms of your own energy levels. We talked a bit about this during the rule of life stuff uh, mm-hmm. is, is, is really helpful and important. So God wants us to pour ourselves out for other people. Mm. Therefore, we need to have lots of inputs to pour in, right? And so uh, you don't just want to be pouring yourself out for mm-hmm. people. You also want to prioritize that pouring in. And really, the, you know, the whole last series about you know, rule of life is, is, is really geared towards that. It's zooming out. So not just, not just doing things because things are happening around you and running to that need and then running to that need, but being intentional in that. And, and it's very loving and accepted. You know, like if, if, I, if M asked for help for something and I said, you know what, M, I, today I can't. I'm just at the, I can't even get out of bed, let's say. You know, I'm just so stuffed at the moment. I'm tired. I would love to help. At this point, I don't have the energy. Um, a good friend would understand that. They would know your journey mm. and they'd be able to kind of work with you. That's very different than just being lazy and self-centered. Mm. Um, so I think being honest with your friends about your health, whether that be your emotional, your physical, or even your spiritual health is really mm. key. But also if you're a serving type and we love serving types and it's such a testimony, God's remember the importance of coming to the feet of Jesus and receiving from him. Mm. Give yourself permission to say, Lord, I need your energy. Jesus himself did that. He was always serving other people, but he was always withdrawing to receive the gift of God's grace, to receive his spirit, to not do it in his own energy, but in the energy that the spirit provides. Hmm. So I reckon it might be a good time to pray. I think so. All right. Church, would you stand with me as we pray? And then we'll continue singing together. Father, thank you for the gift of friendship. Lord, may we seek to reflect you in our friendships with one another. Whether they know Jesus or not, uh, may we shine Him to them. And Lord, whether we are in seasons of um, difficulty with friends or feeling isolated within friendships, Mm -hmm. um, Lord, would you have your restorative hand on them, on us, on these relationships. And Lord, may you use them, may you use the, the restoration to lift our eyes to you. Yeah. And may you use it as an example of your great grace to us. Um, and Lord, may we, may we reflect to the world around us who you are and your goodness and your kindness through the way that we love one another. And that's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.